up to Proverbs chapter 21. And uh, I do encourage you guys, man, to follow along in this chapter. Because as we're going through the Proverbs, basically what it is, is uh, God's word so that we can have, in one sense, like a successful life. And if you think about it, that's pretty epic, you know, because you're going to hear a lot of different opinions. You're going to hear things the world has to offer, their type of counsel. But for us, uh, what we want is, God, you give us the, the divine details. You give us your word, because I want to live a life of victorious Christian living. And so we're going to go through it uh, again, like I share every week. Every sentence is a sermon. You can dive in deep. And so it's hard for me to go through a whole chapter. So I'm going to try to talk fast tonight. Um, so if I stumble over my words, pray for me. But man, I pray that as we go through that God would teach us these things. And so look at verse 1. It says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And so this is a very relevant verse for us, if you guys think about it, because he's talking about the king. He's talking about political leaders. He's talking about the president at the end of the day. And what the Lord says right here is no matter who that ruler is, God is always the one in power. No matter what the human authority decides now, it's good to know that God gets the final decision, that he is ultimately on the throne, that you know, man may rule, but God overrules. And so it says right here, the king's heart, think about it, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and it's like the rivers of water. And so just as the farmer channels the water to irrigate his crops, so the Lord turns the heart of the king and the rulers to accomplish his purposes. You see, something like that, uh, way back in the book of Ezra, chapter 6 and verse 22, this is when the people were coming back from the land of Persia, and it says there that they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria. Think about that, toward them. And so another example we have of God ruling over the rulers is in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Do you guys remember the Christmas story where it says that the, the, the decree went out, Caesar Augustus sent out the decree to the whole world that they should be taxed? And it was through that, that decision of Caesar Augustus that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. And so these guys in positions of authority, they're making their rules, but God is overruling. God is accomplishing his purposes. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about whether or not, you know, that person's in, on, the, on the throne or in control because ultimately God is doing his thing. Now, does that mean that those who are in positions of authority will make those decisions that we would want to make or even that God would ultimately want to make in a, in a specific sense? No. It's like a Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good to those who are the called according to the God's purpose. And so those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so what that means is not that all things are good, but all things work together for good. And so for me, knowing the world that we live in and the craziness and all the stuff that's going on, even with this election, you know, I'm just so grateful to know. And I pray that it would be a comforting truth for you to know that God is on the throne that he's in control. Verse 2, notice what it says. It says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, 
but the Lord weighs the hearts. And so the, the King James Version, it translates the word weighs as, as pondereth. And so the Lord, he ponders, you know, not just the surface or the skin, but God looks at the heart within. And we need to do the same. You know, when you think about it, uh, right here we have a tend tendency to be blind and biased, thinking that we ourselves are not bad, but the truth is we all fall short, right, of the glory of God. It says right here, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, right? You know, Luke chapter 16, verse 15, it reminds me of the, uh, the, the, this passage right here when Jesus was addressing the Pharisees. It says, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. And so a lot of times, you know, we think we're good. We think that, you know, we're, we're fine and dandy because we're just looking on the surface, because we're just looking from, you know, the world's perspective, so to speak. But what we really need to do is ask God to search our hearts deep within. William McDonald said this, a man is not a valid judge of his own life or service. He judges by outward appearance but the Lord weighs the thoughts and motives of people. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul basically said the same thing. He said, I, I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. And so basically what we have to do is ask God to search us. God, you show me what's going on. You know, one of the things that we've learned over the years in doing graphics and doing articles and, you know, things that we print is that we'll write an article. Have you guys ever noticed, any of you guys that read our devotionals and there's a mistake here or there? Every once in a while, there's a mistake. You know, it's because you need more than just one set of eyes on it. You know, you're looking at it, you're writing it, you don't see any mistakes on it, but then you get someone else to look at it and they're like, oh, there's that, that, and that. And then you get someone else who really knows a lot about grammar and they, know they might do some more corrections. Well, that's the way it is. We look at our own life, we think we're good. Oh, I'm, I'm fine. You know, we, we, it says right here that uh, uh, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But that's when you got to get the Lord in. And he weighs, he ponders the heart. And that's what it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. And so what does that tell me? That tells me, God help me to have a clean heart because that's what matters most. Next in, in verse three, notice what it says right here. It says, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now we just got done, uh, Yesterday, my wife and I went to a funeral of a man who died in a motorcycle accident. And uh, he, he wasn't like, you know, like all that, you know, at church every week type of person. You know, um, of course, I would encourage you guys as a pastor, you know, be here as much as you can. That's my heart. But at the end of the day, your church attendance doesn't save you. And at the end of the day, uh, it's, it's who you are outside these walls. It's how you love your wife. It's how you love your children. It's how, you know, what type of person you are. He was talking about how one of the guys that went up there actually went up and said that he had been working with this man for 27 years and they never had an argument. 
I mean, he was that, that kind of a person, a, a really good person. Sometimes you get people and they, they come to church all the time and at the end of the day and they're serving and they're involved in ministry. They might even be pastors out there, but they're not loving their wives. They're not loving their husbands. They're not loving their children. They're not loving people that they work with. They're not living the life. And basically what we see right here, he says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than the sacrifice. In those days, that was their religion, man. They would take their animals and they would go and they would kill it. That was their religion. And a lot of people, it's just a religion. And John Corson said this. He said, how we live is more important than what we give. And so you have to search your heart. I know I do. Is my so-called relationship with God mere religion or is it real? Manny, do you think you're good with God because you're a pastor, because you serve at the church? Absolutely not. There are many pastors out there who see it just as a job. This is how I, I make my money. This is how I make my living. I like to do that. I like to talk. I like to be in the church setting. You know, you got to be really careful with stuff like that. Again, don't get me wrong. The measure of the ministry is sacrifice. And we are called to, to be living sacrifices. We are called to give to God, even to give our lives to God. But here's the thing that I think he's trying to say is that our belief should change our behavior. You know, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. You know, it should impact us for good. So, you know, what we think, say, and do day in and day out, moment by moment, is something that would be pleasing to the Lord. You know, you guys remember, if you've read through the Old Testament, that was something that Saul never really understood. You know, one time the Lord told Saul, I want you to go and take care of business. I want you to win a war. I want you to, you know, take vengeance for me because there was something that the Amalekites had done. They had ambushed the children of Israel. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to, to win this victory and slaughter the Amalekites. And so Saul went, but he didn't do what God told him to do. He brought back the best of the sheep, the best, best of the oxen. He even brought back King Agag when God had commanded him to take him down. And so when Samuel came, he said, what's up with that? Why didn't you obey God? And, uh, and, and Saul said, well, I did obey God. And then Samuel said, no, you haven't. I, God told you to go and wipe out this everything. And here you are, you got the sheep and you got the oxen and King Agag is alive and and Saul said, well, we brought the, the sheep and the oxen because you want to sacrifice it to God. And that's when Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And so let it be clear, let it be clear that, that you know, again, you know, me as a pastor, of course, I'm going to say you should give your tithes. And if, me as a pastor, of course, I'm going to say you should serve in the ministry as me i would say of course you should come to church of course you should read your bible of course you should pray of course you should sacrifice so to speak in that way but if it doesn't change the way you live that's what he's saying then there's something wrong with that we should live a life of righteousness there should be a life of justice there should be a life of love and, and that's what we see here is it's so 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 important for us to understand Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Matthew 23, 23, the Lord said this, He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And so you guys probably know the, the way that the Pharisees were. They were so religious. They had their robes. They had their tassels. Everybody looked up to them because they thought they were so religious, right? But God said, Jesus said, woe to them. You guys are, are crazy. You, you tithe even from your little mint garden. Imagine that. Oh, got to give a tenth you know, to God. But Jesus said you've neglected the more important things like mercy and justice and love. And so we need to make sure that we understand these things. Look at verse 4. It says, A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. And I like the way that it, it calls it sin. I think that's important. It's an important word. Uh, uh, it's not a mistake. It's not a, a disease. It's not even a struggle per se. It, it's sin. You know, that, that proud look, that mad dog look is sin. The heart of pride inside, he says, is sin. Uh, and the reason why it's important for us to call it sin is because when you call it sin you bring God in. This is something that I did against God, or this is something that I neglected to do in violation of God's commandment. And this makes me accountable to God. That's why the world doesn't like the word sin, because it makes them accountable to God. What we find right here is it's important for us to understand that these things are what God calls it, so that we can understand that we need Him to ask to give us that forgiveness. It's not a civil offense or a national offense or even a global offense. It's actually an offense against God. And we just got to know what it is. You guys ever seen anybody give you that haughty look, that mad dog look? It's based on the pride that's inside, huh? And God says, hey. Even right here it says the plowing of the wicked. And is this everything they do? Uh, some Hebrew translations use the word light. Even the very light of the wicked is sin. Verse 5, it says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. And so you've probably heard it a million times that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? And so it's okay to plan, but we need to be more than just prudent. We need to also be diligent to plan hard and then to work hard. It's notice again, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. And so it's important for us to understand the certainty of this promise because we find the word surely twice. And so basically in life and man, your family, your ministry, here's what I encourage you to do. Pray and plan, but then work hard for God. Wait on God, as a matter of fact. It's interesting, he uses that word hasty right here. But those of everyone who is hasty, surely to poverty. And so we pray, we, we plan, we work hard, and then we wait on God for him to give us those marching orders, for him to open doors that no man can shut and to shut doors that no man can open. Verse 6, it says, Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. 
Now, I will say this as we're going through the Proverbs here. There's a lot of warnings. I mean, and there's a lot of warnings even about dying. And so really try to take these things to heart, you know, because God gives you those warnings so that we won't go there. Here we see getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. Or as the New Living Translation says, wealth created by a lying tongue is a vanishing mist and a deadly trap. And so there's a lot of, I'm sure you guys know, a lot of corrupt companies out there, bad businessmen. But when I was reading this verse right here, uh, getting treasures by a lying tongue, I was even thinking of these guys that you have on TBN, man, the ones who are the name and claim it, blab it and grab it, health, wealth, and prosperity. You know, they tell you, hey, give me some money and you're going to get, you know, tenfold back. And they get rich off all these old people. You know, they're getting rich with this lying tongue and what God says right here. And, and you know, they're going to die. One day, these guys are driving the Rolls Royce or they got the $3,000 suit on and they're over there and they got their mansion and they're getting the money from all these, you know, old ladies with fixed incomes. That's exactly what he's talking about. God has a hot spot for them. See, my prayer is that we would know, Pastor Chuck, man, this guy could have lived in any house he wanted. I mean, the Lord blessed Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa in such an amazing way. But, but he always chose to live at the same level as the people. And one time when the pastors, I remember they started driving BMWs and Mercedes Benzes and stuff like that, he told them, hey, you guys, don't do that. You know, go back to your Toyotas or whatever. You know, you got to go back and kind of live like the people. And I'm not saying you guys can't have those types of cars. It's different for you. You guys are working hard and God is blessing you. But for a pastor, for, for a religious leader, so to speak, you know, it's, it's a different dynamic. And so those guys who are getting rich with that lying tongue, it says right here, uh, they're, they're going to die. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3 it says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. Verse 7, it says, the violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. I don't know if any of you guys were violent any of you guys here were violent before you were Christians, you know, got in fights and stuff like that. I know more than a handful of guys that, that were before they got saved. Uh, they would actually literally go out looking for a fight every night. Thank God they got saved and now they're here and God's given them a new life. But these guys right here looking for a fight, you know, I think of gang members always in that, that nation of retaliation. They're always there, right? But, but man, it's cool when you see God changes someone, God saves someone. The key of this verse right here is that they refuse to change. Again, notice it says, The violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. They refuse to change. And that's what we see ends up destroying them. Verse 8, it says, The way of a guilty man is perverse. But as for the pure, his work is right. And so again, we see contrast here often in the Proverbs between the perverse and the pure. And if you think about it, that word perverse, it's an ugly, ugly word. 
But what we find right here is that, man, when we get pure with God, when it's rooted in who we are, we're no longer guilty, but now we're Christians. It's kind of cool what God does. We begin to work good things. Verse uh, 9, we're going to skip. No, I'm just joking. you got to do it right. Verse 9, it says, Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Ah. All right. Pastor Chuck, when he did this, he actually said, I'm going to skip this verse, but he didn't. He went back. You know, uh, imagine that. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in the house shared with a contentious woman. Back then and there, and still today, when you travel to different places in the world, you'll notice that the roof uh, is a place where people would hang out. And you go to Cambodia today, it's kind of like a patio up there. They hang their clothes to dry. It's a nice, you know, view. And, and so it's cool to go up there and pray and stuff like that. But it's definitely not the place you would live, right? And so what we find right here is he's saying, hey, it's better to live there <laughs> than it is to live in a house shared with a contentious woman. And so, you know, something to think about. Proverbs 19.13, it describes the contentions of a wife as a continual dripping. So that dripping, it takes its toll. It does its damage. Uh, as I've told you guys many times, probably the only thing worse than being single and wanting to be married is being married and wanting to be single, right? And that can happen if you end up with the wrong person. You end up with a contentious woman or even a contentious man. William MacDonald, he said this, This proverb says that it would be better to live alone in a cramped corner of one of those roofs exposed to the heat, the cold, the rain, the snow, the wind, and the hail than to live in a house shared with a nagging, contentious woman. The storms from without would be more endurable than the tempest inside. And so... Um, Husbands and wives, I uh, would encourage you to communicate, but don't contend with each other. And single people, I would encourage you to be careful. Don't marry someone just because they're handsome or she's good looking. Don't marry for money. Don't marry out of desperation. Wait on the Lord. Or one day you might find yourself craving a cave to hide in or a roof to rest on. Or a permanent patio that you would prefer as your pad. That's what he's saying right here. Now Solomon knew that because he had a lot of wives. And that's not good either. We'll talk more about this later. Look at verse 10. It says, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. And so this is, a, this is definitely someone who's really, really bad. Um, think about it. Their soul desires wicked. It's deep within, and he does not love his neighbor. And yet, that's the, the second commandment, right? The first commandment is what? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, which is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's this guy, the wicked, and sometimes the hearts become so calloused that they only desire evil, and they won't love those that God brings into their life. Verse 11, it says, When the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise, but when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. And so the naive or the simple uh, are those who are inexperienced in life. 
Um, they see someone else get punished and basically they can learn uh, from their sentences, from the consequences of others. You know, even the simple can be made wise under such circumstances, right? Uh, I've, I've told you guys many times that there's uh, basically three ways to learn. You can learn from the mistakes of others, which is preferable. You can learn from your own mistakes, which is admirable because we're all going to make mistakes and hopefully we learn from them. Or you can just learn from the Bible. <laughs> and I like that one the best. As a matter of fact, that's what he says right here, that when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. That's all it takes for him to learn. Verse 12, it says, The righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. And I think verse 15 is kind of related to that. It is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. And so, like I said earlier, and I don't know if you guys can really catch it, but you got to catch the warnings. You got to catch the warnings. If you do this, you'll die. If your house is wicked, it'll be overthrown. And right here, he, he says, it's, it's a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. And so the wicked right here, it's, it refers to those who have that hostility against God. And basically it's a result of the fall of the angels that then influenced the fall of mankind. And this kind of develops the massive mess that we're in today. First John chapter 5, verse 19 says, The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so, let me ask you a question. Do you think that people are inherently good or inherently bad? Yeah. We're born with a sin nature. All of us are. And that's why you have to begin to discipline your two-year-old, right? Because they start throwing those tantrums. And next thing you know, they're lying. Now, some kids are a little bit more easier than others. Some are more strong-willed. And so, God will show you, you know, how to do all those types of things. But we're born with an inclination to sin. And so... Some people might look at the world we live in and say, well, you know, basically it's a, it's a good world. No, I mean, basically when you talk about what's good, you got to talk about God and how many people are serving the Lord. And so what we see right here is the righteous God. He wisely considers the house of the wicked. Now that word wisely considers, it's almost like God is looking and he's taking notes of exactly what's going on. And I was thinking about the different houses, right? My house, the house of God, maybe even the house of representatives. I was kind of thinking about that, right? The 435 representatives we have in the United States. God is watching all that stuff. And we see he's taking notes. And one day, everything will be brought to justice. Next, we see in verse 13. It says, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Now, again, as we've gone through the Proverbs, um, it gives us real practical things. Like, for example, it'll tell you that it doesn't matter who the president is, God's on the throne. You know, it'll give you real practical things like be a good husband, be a good wife. And if you're single, Make sure you choose wisely. It gives you very, very practical things. And here's another one right here that, that we should be 
helping the poor. Now, when was the last time you gave a dollar to someone or two dollars to someone? You know, some of us here, we're, we're in pretty good shape and we have neglected the poor. And the Lord says, hey, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. You know, when I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you, you came to me. And they said, Lord, we don't remember that. And he said, hey, when you've done this to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. And we see that here again. But in this one, again, like I'm trying to share with you, it's a warning. He says, if you don't hear the cries of the poor, then God won't hear your cries. And so it's good for us to know that if you ever got a messed up prayer life and you're wondering why isn't God answering your prayers, maybe it, this is one of the reasons because you haven't really helped the poor. One third of the world that we live in today has unclean drinking water. And you can go online and you can give $10 to different organizations that are legit, you know? And so it's just an encouragement to us as we read through these things. We're reminded of our responsibility to help the poor, not those who won't work, but those who can't work. There are many legitimate needs out there. You know, it, it, what we see, it reminds me of 1 John 3.17 because Christians should have that heart. It says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? You know, a while back, I, I read of a group of ladies who passionately pondered this verse regarding the poor. And what they did is they found out that situation that I mentioned to you, that so many people out there don't have clean drinking water. And so you know what they did? They sold their wedding rings and they founded an organization that would then create African water wells. And they've been actually serving the Lord in that way ever since. Now, I'm not saying you got to sell your wedding ring because I know that's very special to you. But, you know, the Lord will show you your part in how you can help the poor. So there's these ladies and they're selling these, uh, I mean, they're offering these water wells. And so someone asked them afterwards, how are you doing? And the response was, we're doing well. Right. <laughs> God, help us to do well, if you know what I mean, so that one day we can hear those words from the lips of our Lord, well done, because you helped the poor. Okay? Verse 14, it says, A gift in secret pacifies anger, and a bride behind the back strong wrath. Now, this is an interesting verse, because some might look at it and say, Is God teaching that it's okay to bribe people? Well, there's different views. Some say he's just making a statement that that is kind of the way that the world works. But I like the way one translation puts it. It says, A quietly given gift soothes an irritable person, and a heartfelt present cools a hot temper. And so a tough situation, maybe at home, you and your wife, you had some holy headlock or something, and you got into it, and maybe you send her some flowers with a little note of apology. Maybe that's kind of what he's saying here as well. Uh, again, one of the things, if you guys have been paying attention as we've gone through the Proverbs, one of the things we definitely have learned is that we can get creative in giving gifts. And, you know, being generous, man. Um, there's this app now. It's a really cool app. and I think it's called Card Snacks. Any of you guys seen that app? 
it's a really cool little app and you go on there and you make a card and you can give a, a $5 gift, a $10 gift, just like that. You can make someone's day. I'll give you my number afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. You know, we need to be, we'll see it in the Proverbs, we need to be more giving. We really do. Verse 16, it says, A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. And so, wandering from the way of understanding. Think about that. We all have that tendency to wander. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, we, all we like sheep, we go astray. You know, some of you guys, maybe you know when your cars, you know what I'm talking about, when your car is out of alignment. If you were to take your hands off the steering wheel, it would just go that way really fast or that way really fast. That's the way we are. We are broken. We have a, a misguided alignment. And so we all have the tendency to wander. Right here is another heavy warning. It says that a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly, think about it, of the dead. And so, you know, you guys, I want to encourage you. That's why you got to stay on that straight and narrow road. This is why we always have to ask God to keep us on that path. Because if not, we'll wander. And here we see that wandering left unchecked brings an absolutely horrible ending. You know, and I think that people can wander away from God. You know, you used to walk with Him at one time. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Next thing you know, uh, you start missing church. Next thing you know, you're not really reading your, your Bible or praying or you don't have that heart for Him. Next thing you know, you, you know, you bought some type of lie that says, well, I need to do is be a good person. I don't need Jesus. And so you can wander away. John chapter 6, verse 66, is an interesting passage. It says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Think about that. I mean, here was Jesus, but there came a time where it got tough for them, and they walked with him no more. And to me, I thought it was interesting because it's John 6, 6, 6. Anyways, that's something I've always been fascinated by. This morning, I was reading through the book of Hebrews, and I was reading, uh, if you study the whole book of Hebrews, the context is in chapter 2, that we have to take, give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. And so that's the whole context of Hebrews, because these people are being persecuted for their faith, and they started going back to Judaism, started going back to religion, right? And so the whole book is saying, don't go back. Don't go back. As a matter of fact, the only way not to go back is to grow forward. But it's interesting, in Hebrews chapter 11, when he starts talking about all these people, you know what he says about them? He says, there in the hall of faith, these all died in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. They died in faith. And that's why I always just tell people, well, you know, you abide in the Lord and just keep believing. So that when you die, you know, you go to heaven. That's how we have to be. Hebrews 10, 38, it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, God says, My soul has no pleasure in him. And so we're living by faith. We're believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're abiding in him. We're seeking him. He says, The just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, God says, Hey, they're no longer pleasing. And so we have to be careful. When you get a chance, I encourage you to read James 5, 19 through 20. 
And there's a couple of verses there that talk about how some people can wander away from the Lord as well. We got to go faster. Verse 17. It says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Now, this is going to be hard for us Americans because we love pleasure, huh? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, it speaks of how in the last days, this will get even worse, how people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And it's a crazy thing. We definitely see that in our world today. And so he who loves pleasure, the, the word right here translated love is the word that creates the, the problem. The, the proverb is looking at love in the sense of needing and choosing an excessive or uncontrolled indulgence in pleasure. That's what he's saying. Now, it's okay to have a good time. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys knew this, the reason you were created is to enjoy God. So, you know, that we don't want to, we're not trying to stifle that type of thing. We're not saying you have to be stoic or be a monk. But when it becomes your, your, your God, when pleasure becomes your God, that's what he's talking about right here. Then you live that life of emptiness. One person said, it does not argue for a dismal stoic life, but against living only for pleasure and self. Verse 18, it says, The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. And so you always see the contrast as you go through the Proverbs between the wicked and the righteous or, or the faithful. And what we see right here is the wicked are punished in place of the godly and traitors in the place of the honest. It kind of reminds me of the story of Haman. Remember he made that, that, you know, that gallows 75 feet high and he, he thought he would hang Mordecai on it. But in the end, it came back to bite him and he ended up getting hung there. And so we're going to see that. Not always in this life, but ultimately we're going to see that the Lord says the measure that you use is going to be measured right back at you. Verse 19, we'll skip. No, I'm just joking. Look at verse 19. It says, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. So, so before he says, hey, it's better to you know, live on the, the porch or the housetop or whatever. Now homeboy's gone, man. <laughs> He's in the wilderness, right? And so um, you'll notice right here, verse 19, that it also adds the word angry. So she's not just contentious, but she's angry. And there is a saying, um, a happy wife, a happy life. Have you guys heard that? They're trying to replace it with a happy spouse, a happy house. Have you guys heard that? But I think the first one's more true. Because if mom ain't happy, no one's happy. Ain't nobody happy, right? And so, you know, this is important. Our homes should be a sanctuary. Our homes should be a place of peace. And so when you look at this right here, I mean, I could just probably just kind of water it down, you know, but I, I pray that it would make a difference. Maybe you're here and you're good, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, but maybe someone's listening and this is something that they're struggling with and God is saying, you're, you know, this is, this is real stuff. 
Now, when you look at this right here, I will say this. Uh, it says better to dwell in the wilderness. The other one said better to dwell on the housetop. Just in case someone's out there, someone weird is out there, and they're thinking, well, does this give me grounds to leave my wife? You know, it says right there in the Proverbs that it's better. But here's where we have New Testament light. And it's interesting, the word that Peter uses in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, husbands dwell with your wives according to understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And so he uses the word dwell in Proverbs twice, better to dwell there, better to dwell there. But Peter brings it back and he says, no, it's better to dwell here, that you have to dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to her, as to the weaker vessel. Now, what do you mean weaker vessel? Well, it could be a few different things. Number one, most women are, are physically weaker. Number two, most women are more sensitive or maybe they might say emotionally weaker. You know, they, things get to them easier. Or, or the third thing is that they might be weaker in their position in the marriage and that they have to submit to the husband. But, but either way, the husband, and I think that it works both ways. You know, if your wife is contentious, maybe it's your fault, hubby. Maybe you haven't been paying attention to her. Maybe you haven't been spending time with her. And so we all have to search our own hearts. Right here, First Peter 3 tells us that. But it doesn't always, it's not always like that. Sometimes there is a contentious or angry woman. And when she reads this passage, or when we study this together as a church, God says, hey, you know, that's not cool. Let's, uh, let's do what, what Jesus does. The, the Proverbs don't give the man that green light to run to the roof or depart to the desert. It's just saying it's a tough place to be, right? But at the same time, I do believe it's a warning, you know, to wives. Don't be that way. It's a warning to single people. You know, you single people, it's a lot different now than it was then. Back then, they had arranged marriages, which I, Dad, I prefer. I, I wish we could do that, but um, maybe not. I don't know. Most uh, young people don't want that. But now you get to choose. Now you get to select your spouse. And so my encouragement to you is make sure that they're not contentious. You see them in different situations. You see not just their actions, but their reactions. And you make sure that you pray. And it's someone, if you're a Christian, that they're a Christian as well. Verse 20 says there is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise but a foolish man squanders it and so you know we're, we're reminded really of the blessing of wisdom combined with hard work as a general rule of thumb especially in nations like America which is a nation of opportunity you know the Bible tells us that that wealth and riches will oftentimes be found in that house and that's what we see here Proverbs 8.21 also promises treasures to those who love him. And so, again, young men looking at the Proverbs, learning the wisdom and the, the blessing of working hard with diligence, God is going to bless. That's kind of the general principle. But, but not just physically or financially, although that probably will be inclusive in one way or another, but especially uh, spiritually. Verse 21. 
It says, He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. And I was tripping out when I first started my Instagram account because I, I didn't know a whole lot about social media. My daughter's kind of helping me out with stuff like this. And just how it works, how you have to follow people. Now, some people right away, they're like, oh, no, I'm not going to follow anybody. But eventually you kind of learn, well, it's just the way it is, right? But um, I do think that there is going to probably be an influence on who you follow, right? For us, who do we follow? Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? We follow him. Um, but when you're seeing posts from different people, sometimes even people who, are, who claim to be Christian, but they're really not good influences sometimes, you have to be really careful. No, so for us, we're following the Lord. And it's interesting what it says right here. You're following righteousness. You're following mercy. When you're pursuing those things, the Bible promises that you're going to get that and so much more. You're going to find life, righteousness, and honor. Honor. Whose honor? God's honor. God will honor you. Why? Because you have made that your goal. God, I want to get righteousness. I want to get mercy. I want to be a merciful man and I want to embrace the mercy that you extend my way. Verse 22, it says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. And so uh, a wise man, David and Joab, they actually scaled the city of Jerusalem, the walls, and they were then able to conquer the city. And so they did that in 2 Samuel chapter 5. But, but to me, when I read the verse, I was thinking more than likely we don't want to conquer cities uh, uh, physically or militarily, but we do want to conquer cities spiritually, huh? And so it's the wise man who's able to do that. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And so a stronghold is a fortress where, where you control that stronghold and you control whatever it is, the city, you control you know, the country. Those are those pivotal places in society. And so for us, when we fight with spiritual weapons, we're able to gain control again. Imagine what it was like here in the United States of America. And I know it's never been a perfect place but man, when, when people, you know, there was this righteousness, there was this Christian, you know, country that in so many ways, I believe, was established with Judeo-Christian values, you know? Oh, what a different place than it is today. Today, you know, if you believe the things that the Bible says, they call you evil. But we need to get these strongholds back. Those strategic places of control, and we can pull those things down with prayer, but it's a battle that we're in. Verse 23 is something that we see frequently in the Proverbs. It says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. And so I would say it's another warning. Um, any of you here want troubles for your soul? No, right? We don't. Troubles for a soul, that can be very tough, emotional issues and beyond, Right? And so one of the things that we have to do in order to protect ourselves from that is to guard our mouth and to guard our tongue. And that means that we guard every word we say. Uh, Psalms 141 verse 3 is a prayer that we can pray. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. 
And so James chapter 3, it says we can tame these animals. Have you guys ever gone to one of those shows where they are, they got these lions, bears? I mean, they tame these animals, elephants. I remember going to the circus back in the day. They tame these animals, but we can't tame our tongue. Now, what he's saying right here is, hey, if you set a guard over my mouth, Lord, you keep watch over the door of my lips, then that will help me to keep my soul from troubles. Because James chapter 3, it says your tongue is like a spark that can start a fire. Just like that. Your tongue is this little rudder that steers the whole ship in this massive ocean. That's how influential our tongue is. Our tongue is that little bitty bit in this huge horse's mouth that steers it wherever we want. And so one of the things that you'll see almost in every proverb He's telling you, and some of you guys are probably like, man, I heard that a million times. He says it again because we have to hear it over and over and over again. You know, I'm learning. I'm just curious. Most of you guys here, are you guys talkers? Who's a talker? I'm just, you like to talk. You, you won't raise your hand, huh? Some of you, yeah, okay, yeah. And sometimes you talk too much. A lot of times you talk too much. I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just saying. I've learned, I have learned, I, I think I'm kind of medium, I've learned it's better, a lot of times it's better not to say anything. I, I've learned that. Have you guys learned that? That happens a lot. So be careful with what you say. Verse 24, it says, A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name, he acts with arrogant pride. And so, again, another one of those Proverbs that talk about the danger of pride. The Bible says that God resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. It says that three times in Proverbs 3.34, in James 4.6, and 1 Peter 5.5, 5, because of the fact that it's so important for us to know. So you guys remember when you play football? When you play football, you got a running back, and he's got his arm out there in front. That's stiff-arming stiff someone. That's what God does to the proudful. He stiff arms them. He resists the prideful. And so we have to make sure that we are just honest with who we are. We're, we're nothing. We're humble in that honest assessment. Verse 25. It says, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. And so imagine your desires killing you. Uh, here's a guy, he's a dreamer, but not a doer. And it kills him because he covets and he isn't willing to work or do whatever it takes to catch that dream. And so there's a lot of people in that situation. Um, my encouragement to you is to learn from the Proverbs. Again, we see it over and over again. God says, don't be lazy. Make sure you work hard. Uh, and there's a lot of things. I, I was thinking about that American proverb. But you guys remember that American proverb? Early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And there's a guy, man, he's a hard worker. He's a go-getter. He realizes that he got to get out there. And if you do, God will bless. Verse 27. This is a sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination how much more when he brings it with wicked intent? Okay, so earlier we talked about the sacrifice uh, and how, you know, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. 
But here you have an individual who actually comes and they're not necessarily, you know, deceived or no, they're not, they don't have any good intentions. Uh, they come in this religious setting with wicked intentions. It would be like a guy coming here saying, I'm coming to church because I'm going to find a girl and I'm going to sleep with her. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. That, that's a sacrifice with wicked intentions. Another example would be like in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. They came and they put all this money in front of Peter and they said, look, we sold our house and we gave you all the money. But, you know, they were lying to Peter. All they wanted to do was to get the recognition and more than likely to get some type of position. And so here they are doing that whatever religious thing, but uh, their intentions were not right. And God saw that. And what we see right here is a pretty strong word, that it's an abomination to him. Verse 28 says, A false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. Now, there's different interpretations on this verse. Let me share one with you that I, I don't know. I like it, even though I didn't read it in a lot of commentaries, but I, I read it here and there, that basically um, a false witness one day, he's going to die but his lie won't. Uh, one of the things about a lie or a gossip or slander is it goes out fast and it will last. Think about that. Now, Charles Darwin, when, when he died, 1892, his lie is still going. So, so anyways, I, I thought that was interesting uh, about lying and, and all that kind of stuff. This can be in court. It could be a conversation on the couch. It can be in the classroom. It doesn't matter. Uh, verse uh, 29, it says, A wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. And so this verse basically says that the wicked man is not open. I don't know, how do you do a hard face? Mm, yeah, you know, I'm not open. I'm not listening to you. He hardens his face, but the, the, the righteous man, he, the upright, he actually establishes his way, and that means that he gives some thought to his way. Uh, verse uh, 30, is that where we are? Yeah. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. And, and basically what he's saying right here is nobody's going to whip God. You know, and they can gather together and when you get a chance, we don't have time, but you read Isaiah 8, 9, and 10 and it just says it straight out. It doesn't matter if they all get together and they all come up with this amazing plan God is going to win. And I love what it says there in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. It says, But to be broken in pieces, they take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand. Notice it says, For God is with us. So it's not just that you can't defeat God. It's that he can't defeat, the enemy can't defeat us. Because God is with us. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, in verse 18 through 20, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he said, I've got all authority, and I'm with you. That's a really cool thing. And that's why the Bible says that you know, hell, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. If God is for us, who can be against us? Last verse, verse 31. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. 
And you guys, for those of you guys that know me, number one, you know I'm weird, right? Number two, you probably know that this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Imagine preparing your horse for the day of battle. Imagine that, right? We care for it, we feed it, we ride it, we train it, right? But in the day of battle, uh, there will be those days, seasons, and who knows, maybe even years of battle. Ultimately, deliverance is of the Lord. So we do our part. We prepare that horse. We do our part in life. But God is the one who gives us the victory. Preparation is our job. Salvation is his. We do the possible. God does the impossible. And that's why Dial Moody, he was known to say this, pray as if it all depends on God and work as if it all depends on you. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. That's true of salvation. You know, if you're here today or maybe there's someone watching online and, you know, we're talking about salvation, you choose. Choose Jesus today. Choose to follow him. But then when you do choose, you're going to find that God is the one who gave you that, that gift of salvation. It's you choosing and then God understanding that he is the one that did the work. But then I also believe it's true with sanctification. I also believe it's true with growing and, and learning and maturing. It's the Lord. We've got to give him all the credit and all the glory. But it's ultimately like, how much do you want this? So we seek him with all our hearts.